uh, our text today comes from Matthew chapter 3. If you could open your Bibles uh, today to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. Today I'm reading from the Common English Bible, uh, and we'll be reading together uh, today through verse 12. For those who are able, out of reverence for the word, would you please stand and join me as we read. From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea, announcing, Change your heart, hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. He was the one, whom, the one of whom Isaiah the prophet spoke when he said, The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and all around the Jordan River came to him. As they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John. He said to them, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. I baptize with water those of you who have changed your hearts and lives. The one who is coming after me is stronger than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn, but he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. It's the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Amen. Please have a seat. Uh, today, once again, we turn to the lectionary to receive our texts. And I, I shared last week, um, Advent 1, the, the normal rhythm um, in all three cycles of the lectionary. Advent 1 points us to uh, an eschatological text referring to the end times. But also in all three cycles, Advent 2 points us uh, to a similar place in all three cycles, the character of John the Baptist. Um, and as, as we go through year A, um, the, the gospel Advent texts go to the gospel of Matthew. Uh, and it, and I always think it's appropriate to, to set up the context of the book in which we're reading. It's really important to understand what's going on and what the author uh, is trying to do. So, it, so in Matthew, um, there, there are several different characteristics about the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it's the first one in the New Testament. Um, but why is it the first one in the New Testament? Why, what, what was the author trying to do? What was the author trying to accomplish? Um, when the author of Matthew sat down to write Matthew, the author of Matthew didn't sit down to write the Bible. <laughs> he wasn't saying, I'm going to write the Bible today. Uh, that's not how it worked. You, there's no self-proclaimed Bible authors. The, 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 the author of Matthew was trying to accomplish something. The author of Matthew was trying to do something. Um, Matthew, characteristically speaking, is, is largely a, a teaching text. Okay? Uh, there's a big section of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, what does that contain? Anyone know? It contains Beatitudes, but the whole, the whole thing put together is the Sermon on the Mount. 
Okay, which is a long teaching narrative of, of Jesus, where it says he sat down on the on the mountainside, began to t- to teach people. There there are other segments, uh, large segments of Matthew that are that are teaching Jesus in in the act of teaching. Um, it, it's it's uh, filled with with talk about Jesus as King. Jesus as King, uh, and, and and refers to Jesus in his in in his lordship more often than the other other Gospels. Um, Matthew probably came after Mark uh, and Luke, was probably the last of the, uh, of the uh, first three Gospels that were written. Um, scholars think maybe about AD 80 or 90, he used, the author used Mark as a source um, and also a, a document that's been come to known as Q in, in writing uh, and remembering what Jesus did and what he taught and, and the things that he said. But primarily, as we look at Matthew, what, what you need to understand and what, what it would be good to remember is that Matthew was a, the gospel written for the Jews, that, that he was writing to a Jewish audience. He was writing uh, for those that, that had followed the, the faith of, of the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. And, and he, uh, he wrote this gospel for those um, by, by 80 and 90, there were some other biblical characters that had come along. Paul was around. He was, he was bringing the gospel outside the Jewish faith. But Jesus, in his ministry, stayed with the Jews. And the gospel writer of Matthew wanted to write this gospel to the audience of the Jews. And that's going to come into play. So as you read Matthew, uh, whenever you spend time in Matthew, remember that this was the gospel written for the Jews. Well, John is a, John's a character, right? We learn a little bit about John in this passage. Uh, he, he's got a crazy outfit, okay? <laughs> he's kind of an odd duck, a little eccentric. He was, he was camped out in the wilderness. The gospel writer is very uh, particular to talk about the setting of this place, that John's out there. For the Jewish culture, um, the action happened in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place. The temple was the place. That's where you go to hear about God. That's where you go to, to, to affirm your commitment. Not for John. He, he's, he's, out of, he's out of the know. He's not, he doesn't have status. He doesn't have prestige. He's not uh, recognized. He's just doing the kingdom work. He's out calling people uh, to repentance. One of the most beautiful aspects of this text is that it comes from, from a nobody with no status, which reminds us that that's where Jesus came, in the middle of obscurity, in a little barn, not a palace, not a temple, but in a barn, and mirrors the expectations for for how the Messiah would come. Um, You know, John reminds me a little bit of of the guy that... uh, uh, I, I don't know if, if you've ever experienced this, but uh, you go to a, a sporting event or something in a big city and at a big stadium, you got the guy outside with the, the bullhorn, right? Saying, repent, kingdom's coming, you got to turn your life around, turn or burn. <laughs> we, we had one uh, up in Seattle. Every, every Seahawks game, every, every Mariner game, he, he would wear this little... A microphone. He had a little speaker, and there were always people standing around holding signs, and and you just thought, 
that's not the gospel. I, I, I just ached. I, I kind of, you know, look to the ground, avoid eye contact, and, and just think, Lord, how many people think that this is what the church is? How many people have been so affected, so turned off by this? But that's not John's message. That's not how John presented himself. That's not who he was. What was John's message? Repent. Repent. Change your hearts. Change your lives. What does it mean to repent? Um, Repentance is an important thing in the life of a Christian. It's a very important skill in the life of a Christian. What does it mean to repent? I think repentance has has to has to have this this sense of of sincerely aching to really be sorry to 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 let it land on yourself the error of your ways. Have you ever encountered somebody that's really quick with oh I'm sorry <laughs> oh sorry I did that to you oops. <laughs> It doesn't sound like repentance to me. There's no penitence there. Uh, there, There's this sense that it has to land on your spirit, that you have to understand that even even if your intent was right, the impact that you made on the person is significantly more important. The impact trumps intent. You can have good intent, and you can still make mistakes, and you still sometimes need to apologize for that. I think repentance, true repentance, comes from a place deep within that says, I understand. I see the depth of my error. I see how it has wronged you. I see what I've caused. And the second part of repentance is you turn your life around. And you go a different direction. You go a new direction. Uh, I, I, uh, I was just talking this morning. I think sometimes repentance has become a lost art in our culture today that there's very few that, that understand true repentance um, in the world in which we live. I think repentance is a marriage skill. I think it's a marriage skill. I've learned a lot about repentance because I'm married and because my wife deserves my true repentance when I mess up. And the couples that can't understand that, that don't understand what it means to truly repent, what it means to really apologize and to turn your life around, struggle. Because that's part of what it means to do this journey together. Well, John's message isn't necessarily a real popular message, but what do we see happening? This is a hard thing to be to be told. Hey, turn your life around. Repent. Confess your sins and repent. That's the message of John. That's not an easy message to hear. But what do we see happening? We see people coming from all over. It says Jerusalem and Judea and all the areas surrounding the Jordan River. They came to John the Baptist. They didn't head up the hill to Jerusalem. The message there was was what they had always heard. They were drawn to this character that says, your life is worth turning around. That the the journey of your faith requires something of you. And repentance was flourishing. They were drawn not to the the center of all the action, but they were drawn to the wilderness, to the man who said, your life is worth turning around. That repentance will change your life. In verse 7, we see a big switch. 
Okay, verse seven comes around, and there's some new characters on the scene in this gospel. Uh, his audience, the people to whom he was speaking, switches from the common people of Israel who had come to repent and come to the wilderness to the people who would come out to check out what was going on. Hmm. Sadducees and the Pharisees show up. These were the religious folks. These are the people who had it all figured out. These are the people who, who faith was their business, and they knew what they were doing. And his message was the same. <laughs> Repent. But his tone is completely different, right? What, what becomes the, the evidence of repentance for for John the Baptist as he's, as he's talking, what's the evidence of repentance? He says fruit. Fruit becomes the, the evidence of repentance. Trump talks about being, uh, or he talks about uh, the being children of Abraham. Okay, this was this was the elitist Trump card. This is this is what uh, this is what they use. Well, we're children of Abraham. We've got it all figured out. We know all the routines. We know what we're supposed to do. This was this is what they went to when they when they were challenged. You know what I think as I read that this week. I think that's a warning for those of us who've maybe been in the church a long time. I I, I got this thing. I, I I've been in the church a long time. Maybe not as long as some of you. Okay, um, but I've been in the church a long time, and I I kind of know what we do. I know how to look. I know how to act. And I see in myself glimpses of what I think frustrated John the Baptist and the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says this, current fruit is so much more important than last year's harvest. Today's fruit is so much more important than last year's harvest. We live in an agricultural community. Today's fruit's really important. We can't, we can't rest on last year's harvest. Let's take care not to be the religious folks in this story, the folks that show up and from a distance say, hmm, I wonder what this John the Baptist guy is doing. And kind of kind of stand back on the outside and cross our arms and hmm, that's interesting. Sometimes that's that's what I'm tempted to do. Sometimes I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, I've seen this before. I, I know what's going on. No. Jump in the water jump in the water with John the Baptist and say, today, again, I want to repent. Today, again, I want to get those, those hear and, and live those life-transforming words. May our hearts and our lives be changed. In the last section, I think there's, we have to highlight this statement. He says this, John the Baptist says, I, I baptize with water those of you who have changed your hearts and lives. But the one who's coming after me is stronger than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals, for he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You know, as we read this today in 2019, uh, we tend to superimpose our understanding of spirit onto this text. They didn't have a developed theology of what the Holy Spirit was back then. Their understanding of the spirit is completely different than than what that what we understand. And certainly it holds that... that in our lives with Christ, he brings the Spirit into our lives. But I think there's, there's a richness. I think there's a depth to understanding how the people would have received this text back when it was written. The Hebrew understanding of Spirit uh, was the word ruach. I probably say that wrong because 
I don't know any Hebrew words, but that's what I was told once. Um, but uh, the, the Hebrew understanding of spirit, ruach, it's, it's meant to uh, uh, talk about uh, breath and life. Um, it, it's, it's this wind, a powerful gale that, that sweeps through and goes deep into our lives. That when Jesus comes and baptizes us, that's the kind of baptism that he brings. It, 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 that very word is mentioned in creation, the creation account. There was no shape. There was no form. Darkness and chaos ruled. And it says God's wind, the ruach, swept in over the waters. And God created in that moment. Jesus' baptism is a wind and a breath to fill your lungs with life. We become literal new creations in Christ in our darkness, and in our weakness, and in our brokenness, and in the chaos of our lives, we're baptized with the breath of God. And like Genesis 1-1, new creation is born in our lives, and we're set free. You know, the, the, the personality of John the Baptist is an interesting study. He was this odd paradox of a person. He's the kind of guy that, you know, you're walking down the street, and you have your kids with you, and you're like, okay, kids, let's go to the other side of the street. <laughs> okay. I wanted to get a picture of what he might look like, and I thought I could just throw a, a picture of Tom up there, um, but uh, I, I couldn't sneak a photo at breakfast. So, um, I'm so sorry. Uh, I don't mean that, I promise. Um, it, you, you learn a lot about a guy when you're roommates with him. So, um, but John the Baptist had this, this odd hygiene. His diet was weird. He probably looked funny. He probably smelled funny. But he was the one with the message of life. He was the one preaching truth. He was the one calling the people of Israel and saying, repent and turn your life around. The gospel writer even says this, this is who Isaiah was talking about. Can you imagine the shock to the, to the Jewish reader when this was the guy that Isaiah was talking about? Because they would have known the scriptures. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. And they would have known the stories of John the Baptist, likely. Okay, And so this is A.D. 80, A.D. 90, somewhere around there. What happened to John the Baptist? He was a political martyr. He was the one that made the king mad. The king's wife tricked him into to executing John the Baptist. And this is who the prophet Isaiah was talking about? This was the one sent? He had no status. He was the odd guy that you walked your children around. And this was John the Baptist calling, instead of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who said, keep coming to the temple, keep going through the ritual, keep going through the routine, you're all right as long as you keep tithing, as long as you keep filling the coffers. And John the Baptist was saying, change your heart, change your life, begin a new way, begin a new walk, truly repent, and truly walk a new way. As we turn our attention to this week to the second theme of Advent, love, I'm struck at this, that this is the message that John brings. John was tapped into a deep love for the people of Israel. I'm convinced that's why he was out there in the river. 
I'm convinced he had walked up the mountain into Jerusalem a few times. And in the practice of worship, he, he found something missing. He found something wanting. He wanted to, to offer the people of Israel something of more significance. And so his message became clear and singular. Repent. The message of repentance isn't always interpreted as love, and yet as I look at this character, this odd character who who said, my office is going to be the Jordan River, he said, I care for these people. You know, we kind of live in a world that says, you know, do what you want. You know, everybody kind of is entitled to their own right and their own way. Repentance strikes right against that message. It's not a message that that is easy for the world in which we live. And let me tell you this secret, though. Love is the most compelling route to repentance. That that there's a number of there, there's a number of ways to 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 try to get somebody to repent. Uh, there's the screamers that doesn't work really well. Uh, there's the there's the guilters that doesn't really work really well. I can, I, we can all feel really bad about the things that we've done. And yet I believe that love is the most compelling force that draws us toward repentance. That when I have someone who steps into my life and says, that's not the best, that's not your best, Trent. I care about you enough to tell you that. I care about you enough to be real and honest with you. You need to change. That that's the easiest way to draw someone, the best way to draw someone towards repentance. I think it was the same love for the people of Israel that got him all ticked off at the religious folks too, right? These folks held religious power over the head of the people. Keep coming to temple. Keep going through your routines. Keep doing the things that that you've done. Faith had become about following the rules. Luckily, we never do that. Faith had become about following the rules, getting it right, following instructions. These guys were the masters. These guys held all the cards. These guys held all the chips. I think he was just frustrated at the whole system. And so he starts letting them have it. Children of snakes, you do all the right things, but where's the fruit? Where's the fruit of your lives? And if you've come to a place where you find that there's no fruit, God has the axe in his hand. But I'm also struck that John's warning to the religious elite is also a message that applies to me at times. That he loves us enough that he says, if if, if you examine your life and you find that, that fruit is lacking, um, there's an invitation into a new life. But again, that takes repentance. You have to let it land and you have to turn your life around. A new life that is laden with abundant fruit, the fruit of hope, the fruit of love, the fruit of joy, the fruit of caring for those around you in this community, in this church family, in the world caring for the hurting, caring for the lost, the broken, 
the fruit of generosity, the fruit of community, that you would walk along someone. And this is the message of Christmas, that Christ comes, that Christ comes to give us that love, that Christ comes to walk with us. We don't have to will it into being. You don't have to try really hard to love that person. We don't have to come up with it ourselves. You say, I don't, you don't know the people I know, Pastor. Uh, we don't have to figure out the secret technique of love. What do we do? We receive love. That's the secret, that we receive love. That the, the love that we receive, we're filled. We're filled with love. God loved us first. God loved us first. And as we receive who God is, the very essence of God is love. And is there any greater act of love than the sending of the Son at Christmas time and the arrival of Jesus? The act of love this Advent, once again, is the child coming. And as we receive this ultimate act of love, we are filled with the overwhelming, life-changing, transformative love of God. Uh, and I'll tell you, be careful. <laughs> be careful with the love of God. It comes in abundance. It comes, you, you've got an ugly mug that's this big, and God's got this much love. And it comes in, and if you're open to receiving it, if you're opening, opening your life to, to receive the love of God, it's going to come like a tidal wave. It's not going to stop. It's new every morning. It keeps coming. It fills your cup, and then it overflows. And that's how you love the people around you with the overflow. That love of God will change your life. It's going to mess with you. It's going to mess with how you feel about that slow driver in front of you in the fast lane or the fast driver that cuts you off. It's going to mess with how you, you deal with that person behind the counter on the other, other end of the phone that can't seem to help you. You're not sure if they see you sometimes. It's going to mess with your feelings about that child or that parent or that cousin that you struggle to connect with. It's going to mess with your life. It's going to mess with your feelings about your grumpy neighbor and their rowdy music. It's going to mess with how you respond to the other. Who is the other in your life? Oh, that this Christmas God would open our eyes to the other in our lives. That person that we put over there. Like, man, I'm different than that person. I don't connect with that guy. I don't know what I don't know what her problem is. Who is it that you struggle with? Who is it that is tough for you to love? The invitation this Christmas is to fully receive the love of God, that we would be filled to overflowing, and that the love of God would just leak out all around us. Would be leaky with love. <laughs> Some of us are leaky in other ways, but uh, we want to leak the love of Jesus in our lives. That it so changes us, it so transforms us. And that's what the baby brings. That's what the baby shows. That that's how much God loved us. The leaking of the love of God came in the form of a baby in an out-of-the-way place in the middle of the wilderness with no pomp, circumstance, no show, 
no status, but just came to transform our life. And that's who we worship as we gather on Sunday morning. And that's who we worship as we scatter and go out into our community and see people at work and see people in the marketplace, see people at school. That's what the baby brings. Maybe today the compelling, loving call to repent reaches you today. And you say, you know what, Pastor, in my life, I've been too quick to kind of just say, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. Yeah, I messed up again. What does it mean to truly repent? Maybe that's the message you need today. Maybe today you're resting on past identity, the faith of years gone by. And you've heard today that Jesus is really interested in fruit. That the fruit of today really matters. And maybe today the call is to receive the love of God, not just to fill your cup, but to overflow your cup and to spill into the lives of the others that are present in your life today. I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward and lead us today in a closing song. Um, Today we're going to sing the song, No Longer Slaves. The anthem of the chorus says this, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. You know what I believe? What I believe is this. Fear is one of the most effective ways that love is thwarted. Fear gets in the way of love. The adversary that Scripture talks about speaks the language of shame and regret and insecurity. All of those things employ fear to get in the way of who we're called to be. My prayer today is that we would understand that this child of Christmas comes to drive away fear and to set us free to love one another with the type of love, the very type of love that we receive from Christ. It's not our own love. We don't have to generate it. We don't have to figure it out. We don't have to work really hard. We need to receive really well that we can overflow that love into the lives of others. May it be so. Would you say? I pray that's true in our lives. That we can be set free from fear to go as God's love agents in the world having fully received the love of God, ready to share the love of God wherever we go. Would you hold your hands out as we receive the benediction today? May the God whose love is best expressed by the coming of the Christ child be with us in our hearts and lives this week. And as we are overfilled with God's love, may we love those around us with hope and expectancy of this Advent season. Go in God's love. Amen.